0: Hey, church, it's, it's so good to be here. It's so good to see your faces. And, um, you know, Evelyn was just, our, our, young, our oldest daughter was talking about how fond she is of Foothill and our old church, and she was so excited to be here. So it's a treat for us to come back and just and see you guys, just to be with you guys. Um, in fact, when I entered into the, the building this morning and I kind of breathed in the air, there was that Foothill smell. You guys know that Foothill? It's not a bad, it's not a bad smell. It's just like that aroma of familiarity, you know. It's, it's good. It's good to be here. In fact, it's actually good just to be like in the Bay Area, because when I breathe in the air, it's fresh and kind of good. I live in the valley. We live in Modesto right now. There's kind of a, the valley effect where the, the bad air gets kind of stuck in there. A lot of agricultural activity, so the air is not always as fresh. So it's good to be here. Um, but anyway, I'm going to be talking a lot this morning about this uh, about breathing, about respiration, and in particular what it means to breathe in. Uh, the Word of God, and the songs we sang this morning, I think this is like the good spot right here, Move <laughs> right here, it's nice being portable, uh, but the songs we sang this morning, we worshiped with uh, just, I think, really right on point in terms of what I felt compelled to share with you this morning. I, I found um, that by age 70, the average person will have breathed 700, I'm sorry, not 700, 600 million breaths. That's quite a bit, right? I guess that's right. Um, But breathing is not one of those things you normally think about. And thank goodness, right? It would take a long time. It would take a lot of our lives if we had to think every time we took a breath. It's controlled by the autonomic nervous system, so it's just something that we do. Um, And thankfully, uh, we 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 just do it on our own. We don't have to think about it at all. Because it's bizarre when I think that we're all three minutes away from death. Right. If we didn't breathe for three minutes, it would likely shut down kind of uh, our, our brain activity a bit. By 10 minutes, irreversible damage. By 15 minutes, virtually impossible to recover. So it's just we're on the precipice, right? Yet our body, we we breathe in and and as we bring oxygen into our lungs, it restores, brings us life. Um, but spiritual respiration, breathing in the life of God, is no less essential. In fact, it's more essential to our lives. I want us to become attentive to breathing in the air of heaven this morning. Breathing in the word of God. But this is what God wants to do. He wants to impart his life to us. Uh, as we read scripture, we learn that it's all about his grace. About him reaching out to us, communicating his life to us. In fact, scripture is bookended by God's breath uh, into our lives. I think of Genesis 2 and God breathing um, on on Adam, Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Some translations say breathed onto his face the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So that's the beginning of Scripture. Then at the end, we have in John 20, when Jesus, after he was risen from the dead, visits the uh, disciples who were scared and locked away in a room and John twenty nineteen reads: Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, "Peace be with you." When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, "Peace be with, peace be with you." As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." So we have a God who desires to impart life, impart. Uh, Vigor, vitality uh, into, our, into our very lungs. So what does it mean for God to breathe his life into us now? Um, again, this morning our focus is uh, scripture. God breathing his life into us through his word. Uh, we're going to think about that. And really we just have one verse this morning that, that I'm focusing on. And really it's just one part of that verse. If you want to open up to 2 Timothy 3.16, I'm going to go ahead and read that now. Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you enliven the words that I speak, that they would impart life. Give us a hunger for your word, for we need it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I read 2 Timothy 3.16. I'd like to focus just on one part of that, and we'll talk a little bit about the other part, but mainly the, the, the fact that Scripture is God-breathed, that Paul speaks of Scripture as being God-breathed. Uh, when I was in college, I, I looked at this verse as a sort of proof for the divine authority divine inspiration of scripture. And it is. But I remember being in an argument with another student once, and he was saying to me, well, how can you even trust the Bible? How do you know it's true? And I said, well, it's God breathed, and it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And he's like, well, oh, that's interesting. Guess what? I'm God breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. He's like, you have a circular argument. There's nothing you know, in what I'm saying that's different from what you're saying. It's self-referential. And I bring that up because I've moved from seeing this, this scripture as a sort of proof for divine inspiration, though it is that, into being more of a, um, a motivation for us, a, a tool for us to learn uh, the ways of God. As a way we can uh, look to God to empower our lives, to shape our, our lives, to transform our lives, to train us in righteousness. The Pietists, from whom the Covenant Church really owes quite a bit, we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the, the Pietist movement in Europe in the 17th century. There was a guy, uh, Jacob Spener, who um, lived in a time when everyone pretty much believed in the authority of Scripture. There was a high regard for Scripture. Scripture was, was held high up. But he realized that just holding Scripture high up doesn't change lives. We need to let Scripture invade our lives. We need to give Scripture room to... To to change us. He wrote this. We know that by nature we have no good in us. If there is to be any good in us, it must be brought about by God. To this end, the word of God is the powerful means since faith must be enkindled through the gospel. The more at home the word of God is among us, the more we shall bring about faith and its fruits. So we hold in our hands here. God breathed words. God breathed scripture. We don't hold it in our hands to put it in a glass case. We don't hold it in our hands to tell others that we're right and they're wrong. Nor do we hold in our hands just as a scholarly pursuit. But we hold it so we can breathe it in. God breathes out so we can breathe in and live our lives according to His word. To let it fill our lungs, invade our bodies. Invade our lives and invade our communities. Inspiration is for respiration. God breathes out, we breathe in. It's not enough just to think about it, to know the laws, the information, the rules, but to let it go deep into us. So the question I have, and just three, three ways to really respirate scripture this morning, to breathe it in and let it uh, infiltrate our lives. The first is letting... God-breathed scripture blow away those cobwebs that seem to accumulate in the way that we view the world, in the ways that we uh, picture what is true and what is not true. You ever walk into a room and it just smells stuffy and kind of dank? Um, whenever I do that, it, it, like, it takes being out of that room to realize how stuffy that room is, you know? You could be in it and not know it. And that's how our lives get sometimes. We don't realize we're seeing things incorrectly or without the lens of truth that scripture provides. I remember driving up, uh, again, growing up in the valley, driving up into the mountains. And for the, I remember those, those early memories of driving up into the mountains and that pine air, that fresh air, just invading the car as we drove up. And it just invigorating me, breathing that in and realizing, wow, I didn't realize air could be so fresh, <laughs> that life could be so good. It's like that with scripture. As we let it invade our reality, we realize the truth about who God is. We realize the truth about who we are, and it's wonderful. But we gotta let scripture come in, and and uh, speak to our world, speak to the, our our conceptions of the world. Because left to our own desi- devices, our, our vision is clouded. So we we get clarity on things, on many things. For once we, for for one we get to uh, see that the whole world is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. We realize that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We realize that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, to the crushed in spirit. We realize that he made, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. We don't come to these things of our own accord. We don't think up the cross on our own. God breaks into our history, our small vision, and enlarges it with His breath, His vision. He breathes life into it, like somebody blowing onto a small kindle and it bursting into flame. So we begin to see ourselves as we really are. We see Him for who He is, and it's wonderful. He's nearer than we can imagine, more involved than we could dream. And as that, uh, as that truth enters into our, our bloodstream, we, we begin to see the world as it is. But, of course, to do this requires frequent breathing in of God's word. It requires our, our participation with it. Um, and we can do this numerous ways. It means being in good old-fashioned Bible study, letting that word get into us. But it also means more concentrated times in God's word. I remember reading Dallas Willard telling a story about a significant turning event in his life, the great philosopher, theologian, was when he learned that he needed to read scripture for long periods of times in one setting, which is a very simple practice. So for him, it was just going into some empty Sunday school classroom, grabbing his Bible and reading for a couple hours straight. I remember doing that trying that out, reading Dallas Williams. so oh, I'm going to try that. It was amazing. It's amazing. Now that's hard, right? Because we have Netflix now. And there's like awesome shows like The Making of a Murderer, right? Have you been binged on that yet? Anybody? You can confess. It's all right. <laughs> Don't get hooked on it. It's good. But we have all these things to entertain us and distract us. But, but we have the word here, God's breath. Breathe for us to take in, to invigorate, to to reconfigure our, our, our mind. Um, so it, it does require, I believe, I'm, I'm convinced, those long periods of time sitting with Scripture. But it also could be kind of, maybe that you view that as sort of the marathon, but it also requires more like burst of activities. Meditating on His Word throughout the day in the midst of what you're doing in everyday life. I've been meditating on Psalm 92 for like 13 years. And there's still more there. So Scripture's um, just taking just little bits and pieces of it and letting that just roll in our minds and and shape our minds, shape our thinking as we go throughout the day, as we remember that um, I'm gonna declare steadfast love in this morn in the morning and, and declare his faithfulness at night. You know, I'm gonna remember that Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a center, have mercy on me. As I go throughout my day, I, I see reality more correctly and more attentive to his voice. We've got to let that word again blow the cobwebs off our our clouded thinking, because it becomes clouded quite, quite quickly. So not only does God breathe in and shape and clarify our worldview, but he has, as he breathes into us through his word as we're in it, it also oxygenates our blood for embodied action. So the way I was reading about respiration this, this week, interesting stuff. So as we breathe in, right, it goes through our, through our nostrils and down our trachea, and then the trachea kind of branches out like an upside-down tree, and those turn into um, bronchioles. Then the bronchioles get even smaller. Medical people, just pretend I've got this right if it's wrong, okay? The bronchioles turn into um, alveoli, like little, small, almost looks like bunches of grapes. And those alveoli are, are really uniquely situated near capillaries that have a very thin membrane. So the oxygen goes through the alveoli into the capillaries and oxygenates the blood. Now the cool part is that carbon dioxide at the same time comes out and we we, um, expire the carbon dioxide, the bad stuff, while we're taking in the good stuff. So as scripture comes into us and oxygenates our blood, it's for embodied, the purpose is not just to know things, but to equip us to, to do things. To be who God would have us be in his world. As Jesus breathes into the disciples, so he breathes through us, uh, through the Holy Spirit and his word. So what does that that look like? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 actually tells us. The scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and I like this part, training in righteousness. Eugene Peterson says, training us to live God's way. So again, it's not just our minds, it's our bodies, it's what we do, it's how we live. Not just that we know that others, that we're right and others are wrong, but, uh, but to equip us for action. I like to think of it as a story. Right? Scripture is the story of God's uh, work amongst us. God's relentless, as Brian said, pursuit of us. His relentless love. And uh, as N.T. Wright, the biblical scholar, likes to think of it. I I join his thought that we can think of scripture as a sort of five act drama. First act would be creation. Second act, you can consider uh, it's the fall. Third act would be the election of Israel. Fourth act would be um, Jesus and redemption. And the fifth act is where we're at now. We get a glimpse of the fifth act in the New Testament. But now we are partakers, participators in this drama of redemption. We have a role to play. We have a part to play in this story. And this is sort of our script. This is how we make sense out of our world and our role in it. This equips us to be, um, uh, again, God's, God's people here and now. To be a sign of that new creation that's breaking in. Which will one day culminate in a new heaven, new earth. So, But it requires breathing in that word to, to be able to improvise, right? Because we're kind of put in the spot of improvisation. We can't bring the Bible around us and, and we encounter somebody or something and we say, oh, let me look that up, what the, uh, what the manual says right here. No, it's more like we have a sense uh, of, of the script, the sense of the drama, and now it's our job to improvise. To think, how would Jesus act here and now? How would God have me act out his love in this particular situation? So the more we're familiar with the script, with the drama, the better equipped we will be uh, to demonstrate it, to allow the spirit to breathe life uh, into our activities. And uh, so again, the the idea of Bible study, you know, I love Bible study, but I wonder if it's the wrong terminology, right? What would be better, Bible equipping? I know there's one guy named Bob Goff who, he stopped calling his Bible study Bible study and he called it Bible doing because he was studying the word in order to go into action. It's not a legalistic thing. Just a way of framing our interaction with God's word. He breathes in that we may be equipped again to embody in our lives God's love in action. To improvise his love. Because if we have have all study if we think of our lives as the church as a sort of ship or a boat if we have all study we're kind of we may have a good rudder, but we're kind of dead in the water. There's no wind. If we're all action with no study, we're kind of like a boat that doesn't have a rudder. We're going all over the place. But when we combine uh, embodied action with, with study, it's like uh, a ship cutting through the water with a with rudder and with power. So we need to hold those things both, both in tension. Then finally, the third point is that after God breathes in and we see the world, we learn to see the world as it is. We see God for who He is and His love. And so we take in His oxygen and um, receive His strength to be who He would have us be through the power of the Holy Spirit in the world. Thirdly, He breathes into our lungs that we too might have a voice to proclaim. One of the interesting things about breathing and respiration is that we wouldn't be able to have any voice, right, if we weren't able to breathe in. I remember talking to Jenny once about trying to get some hints on how to sing better. <laughs> she says it's, a lot of it's about breathing, right? Breathing in so that we could have a voice. So um, respiration, breathing in God's word, allows us, gives us the capacity of the voice to speak truth to others. Words have power sharing the truth about God, especially a truth that's been internalized in our own lives, one that we're convinced of, is powerful. We have the authority to speak. Jesus breathes into us to send us to proclaim the gospel of God's love for all people. Um, Words have power. This has come home to me recently thinking about uh, our middle child, John. Whenever... Whenever I raise my voice to John, if he's doing something bad, he covers his face. It's so tender. He's like, no. He's just so sensitive. Because my word, and when I say something that's, that's positive and uplifting, his face lights up. There's no, like, gap between his inner life and his outer life on his face. It just, his face lights up. Um, but it makes me think about my words that much more to see the little guy hide his face. It makes me feel so sad. And I have a unique position as his father. I have a unique authority over his life. My words could build him up. They could destroy him and tear him down. But we've been given authority to speak life to others. To have our words be like light shining into darkness. To bring clarity to others about who they are. So sometimes it's just a matter of looking someone in the eyes and saying, you're more loved by God than you could ever imagine. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter. Or whatever it is, the coworkers you run into, the family members, just to stop, take a breath, amidst all the clutter, all the information that's floating out there, and to speak a piercing word of grace to them. And I think the more that we're in his word, the more we allow it to penetrate our lives, the more penetrating will our words be. I I, I believe that. It's funny, I, I remember certain things people have spoken to me that have just pierced me. could be a word, word of correction. Those hurt, but they're good. could be a work of a word of encouragement. I'm learning about the power of praise in education, by the way. It's huge, power of praise, even for high schoolers. Uh, a kind word does so much. Um, but anyway, I remember at one point, I may have shared this story before some years ago, but I was walking in San Diego with a friend of mine, and we encountered somebody that had learned to use his voice to proclaim the good news of, of Christ. And we were walking, and um, the friend I was with was not a believer. But anyway, I think we we're in the San Diego, uh, San Diego uh, area where there's a lot of military. And we're walking, and this guy passes us, and he just has this sort of glint in his eye, and he stops for a second and he says, <laughs> It's really cheesy, but he says, Hey guys, I heard Jesus is looking for a few good men. <laughs> And he just keeps going. Silly, right? Silly. But the way he said it, the conviction, the love, the warmth behind that word, it was like, uh, it's like a burst of light in just sort of a, a colorless day. So I'm not saying go around and say cheesy sayings to others. Yeah, but what might the Spirit have you speak to others to bring, bring them life? The hindrance, I think, to all this stuff, and I alluded to it earlier, is time. Finding the time to let that word dwell in us, to let it dwell in us richly. It it does take time. So we're going to take a moment here and just, we're going to access the non-autonomic part of our brain. What's that called, the non-autonomic part? hans Eric knows, he knows everything. The nomic part? I don't know. We're going to focus on our breathing. I just invite you to close your eyes and just take some breaths. Slow down a little bit. You think, what word does God have for you? Spirit, speak to us individually. How are you inviting us to breathe deeply of your word? What do you want to clarify? What cobwebs do you want to blow away? What untruths are we living in? Breathe in the truth of his love for you and his love for the world. And Lord, as we continue to breathe in, what would you have us be and do in the world? How might we embody your story? How might we be a sign, a symbol of your new creation here in Los Altos, here in the Bay Area, here in the world? How can we be a glimpse of your light and love where we're at? How can we play a part in this beautiful story you are telling? And finally, Lord, let us breathe in your words for us and how we might be a voice for your gospel. How might we proclaim a good word to those we need to hear it. Lord, your word is awesome. It's mysterious. It's confusing to me. It's holy. It's other. It's beautiful. Spirit, would you lead us all to encounter your word afresh for your glory? In the name of Jesus. Amen.